Taiwan reported 90,331 local infections on Thursday, a rise of 6% from the day before. It also added another 59 COVID-related deaths. At the CECC's daily press conference, health officials gave details on the case of a four-year-old girl with severe symptoms, including encephalitis. She is currently receiving treatment at an intensive care unit. Since the start of the pandemic, she is the seventh child to, de to develop severe COVID symptoms and third severe case to develop encephalitis. Let's hear from the CECC. Today, we have 59 COVID-related deaths. Among the 59 deaths, only one had no previous history of chronic diseases, and 31 were unvaccinated. Their ages range from the 30s to more than 90, and 60% of them were 80 or older. Among the severe cases added today is a four-year-old girl who had no history of chronic diseases. She had a fever and a cough on the day she started developing symptoms. Her parents took her to an emergency clinic where she started convulsing. She was immediately admitted to hospital for treatment and observation. They found that she had developed encephalitis, so she was taken to an intensive care unit for treatment. During observation, doctors found irregular values for some organ functions, including the liver and the kidneys. So she is currently under intensive care. She is the seventh child to have experienced severe COVID symptoms. She is the third to develop encephalitis after contracting COVID. According to the CECC, parents should immediately seek medical attention for children who experience a fever for more than 48 hours or who experience rapid breathing breathing difficulties or chest tightness after the fever breaks. Parents should call 119 if their child convulses, loses consciousness, experiences breathing difficulties or a sunken chest. They should also call if their child's lips turn white or purple, if their blood oxygen level dips below 94%, or if they develop cold extremities or skin discoloration. Some 200,000 students will sit the national high school entrance exams this weekend with strict pandemic controls in place. Temperature checks will be conducted at the entrance, and teens with symptoms will take a test in separate examination rooms. Students who miss the test due to a COVID infection will be able to make it up on June 4th and 5th. On Thursday, new Taipei Mayor Hou Youyi visited a local test venue as it conducted an epidemic prevention drill. Facing the screen, new Taipei Mayor Hou Youyi directs words of encouragement to a group of ninth graders. Due to the epidemic, these students are stuck at home in the days before the high school entrance exams. Because the high school exams are relatively important, I prefer to be taking classes in person because physical classes provide pressure from peers and teachers are able to come right out and say, how long do you have before the exams? You feel that pressure more when you're attending classes in person. This coming weekend, nearly 200,000 students nationwide will take the test. One test site located at New Taipei's Guangfu High School conducted a COVID prevention drill on Thursday. If contingencies arise, our classrooms will be very well prepared for them. We will have examination rooms in reserve. Everything has been made consistent. 
so there won't be a problem there. Student flow will be carefully controlled within the examination venue. Rapid tests are not required for entry, although there will be fever screening at the door. Students with no COVID symptoms will head into the standard examination rooms. Symptomatic students will be sent to a secondary set of rooms, which will also host students undergoing home quarantine, home isolation, or self-health management. Seating will be spaced farther apart in these rooms. As for students who miss the test due to COVID infection, they will be able to retake the exams on June 4th and 5th. Based on our regulations, if you do not honestly report your positive COVID status, if you're caught, you will be disqualified from high school admissions. And actually, you don't need to conceal your infection status. If you come down with COVID, you can make up the exams. The mayor urged students not to hide a positive COVID test result, emphasizing that there will be makeup exams. He said the city's exam venues will be prepared to respond to emergencies and provide a safe testing environment for its students. Former U.S. Indo-Pacific Command Head Philip Davison has restated his concern that China will invade Taiwan by 2027. The former official first announced the prediction last March at a Senate hearing. Speaking to a Japanese media outlet this month, he said that his, his forecast was unchanged. Davidson said that the year 2027 was significant as it would likely be the last year of Chinese leader Xi Jinping's third term in office. The Liaoning Strike Group set up from China on May 3rd, sailing south to traverse the Miyako Strait. More than two weeks have passed since, and it's still out at sea, conducting drills some 200 kilometers off Taiwan's east coast. Over the course of 10 days, Chinese J-15 fighter jets have conducted more than 200 takeoff and landing drills on the Liaoning carrier. The drills have been closely watched by the US and Japan. According to Japan media, the Liaoning has maintained a constant presence east of Taiwan and south of Ishigaki Island. The report says China is trying to signal that it can attack Taiwan from the east and contain US military intervention. China is also testing the response of the US and Japan, the report says. Because China already has aircraft carriers and is currently building a third one, it needs to become very familiar with aircraft carrier warfare. A carrier can be deployed southward from the north, through the Miyako Strait and into the western Pacific. Or it can be sent northward from the south, from Hainan Island to the Basha Channel and into the western Pacific. But carriers could get blocked on both of these routes, so would they truly pose a threat to Taiwan from the east? Currently, the only warplane that can operate on the Liaoning and Shandong carriers is the J-15, which would need to be equipped with air-to-land missiles in order to pose a threat to Taiwan. Taiwan is clearly um, one of their ambitions before that, and I think the threat is manifest during this decade, in fact, in the next six years. Last year, then-Indo-Pacific Command leader Philip Davidson predicted that China would attack Taiwan by 2027. In a recent interview with the Sankey News, Davidson said that his prediction was unchanged. At the 20th National Congress, Chinese leader Xi Jinping is set to get re-elected, which would make 2027 the last year of his third term. Davidson said China was studying the Russia-Ukraine war and learning from Russia's failures. He said that if the whole world came together to stop China, Beijing might postpone its invasion of Taiwan. He said the US and Japan should strengthen the deterrence strategies. 
By 2027, China's combat capabilities, such as in amphibious warfare, its helicopter force, and so on, may still not have matured enough for a Taiwan invasion. These fleets might still be in the test stage. According to China's 2020 plan, the goal is to complete a basic modernization by 2035 and to build up a world-class military by 2050. It won't be until 2035 that China's military achieves a certain level of power, so there may be some challenges up ahead for China's military capabilities. The U.S. and Japan are keeping a close eye on China, while Taiwan builds up its asymmetric warfare capabilities to prepare for all contingencies in the Taiwan Strait. Turning now to California. The Taiwanese-American church that was attacked last Sunday held a prayer meeting to honor the victims of the shooting. Pastor Billy Zhang, who helped to subdue the gunman, said the shooting appeared to have been planned years in advance. The head of Taiwan's consulate in Los Angeles also attended the prayer meeting on behalf of President Tsai Ing-wen. We didn't realize that it was a real gun at first. We didn't know it until the fourth or fifth shot, and then we realized that we had a serious issue. Looking back at the tragedy, Pastor Billy Chang expressed lingering fears. Chang was there when shots erupted at the Irvine Taiwanese Presbyterian Church. During an online prayer meeting, he recounted the incident and said that the shooting was premeditated. He had scoped out the space and he had observed the church. It's possible that two years ago, when I was still at the Irvine Church, he had come to the service once or twice. During the shooting, two of the entrances were sealed. He stood at the third entrance and shot at us. Before launching his attack, the gunman had surveyed the layout of the building. During the shooting, he'd stood at the room's only open entrance. Dr. John Chang, a member of the congregation, was killed while charging at the gunman. He's been hailed as a hero who saved his fellow parishioners by opening up a chance to subdue the suspect. The murderer's head was down, and I used that opportunity. I rushed forward and grabbed a chair to hit him until he was in a corner. The murderer had quite a fright, perhaps because he hadn't expected someone to attack him. We all fell to the floor. It was then that I saw Dr. Chung. I didn't know who he was, because it was his first time at the church. He prevented the massacre from becoming much more devastating. I went to see Mrs. Chung, Dr. Chung's mother, to pray for his family. She is stronger than I imagined possible. On behalf of President Tsai Ing-wen, Minister of Foreign Affairs Joseph Wu, and Ambassador Xiaobit Kim, I extend my deepest condolences and thoughts to the victims. Louis Huang, the head of Taiwan's de facto consulate in Los Angeles, attended the online prayer meeting. He expressed condolences on behalf of Taiwan's president and said he hoped the tragedy would never happen again. The 75th World Health Assembly opens this weekend and Taiwan has been excluded once again. On Thursday, Taiwan's foreign ministry condemned the World Health Organization for not inviting Taiwan to its annual summit. It blasted the WHO for failing to be neutral and professional and for ignoring the urgency of Taiwan's need to participate. It said the WHO has ignored the global calls for Taiwan to be included. Earlier this month, U.S. President Joe Biden signed a bill to help Taiwan regain observer status in the WHA. Some 1,500 paramilitarians from more than 30 European countries signed a joint letter to the WHO to advocate for Taiwan's participation. 
The foreign ministers of the group of seven also issued a communique supporting Taiwan's inclusion. Taiwan lawmaker Chou Taiyuan, who also heads the Taiwan Medical Association, says that Taiwan's exclusion is due largely in part to the WHO Director General, who is widely perceived as being pro-China. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, many countries around the world have launched an embargo on Russians' fuels. On Thursday, activists from Taiwan and around the world held a virtual press event to ask Taiwan's governments to do the same. According to the Finland-based Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air, Taiwan has continued to import Russian coal since the start of the war. Activists say Taiwan should join the world in uniting behind Ukraine and countering Russian aggression. In the two months since Russia's invasion, Ukraine has been devastated by war. According to the International Monetary Fund, the Ukrainian economy could decline by 35% this year. The cost of reconstruction could total 1 trillion US dollars. But for Russia, the economic outlook is less gloomy. Crude oil and gas sales account for nearly 60% of its exports and provide 40% of its national revenue. As Russia still has plenty of buyers, its economy is expected to decline by only 8%. On Thursday, activists called on Taiwan to take stronger steps against Russian goods. We cannot afford to continue paying Russia, the invader states and the highly unreliable partner millions of dollars every day so that they would continue attacking and threatening and killing and destroying. Um, unfortunately, this is exactly what is still happening. According to the Finland-based Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air, many nations around the world have imposed embargoes on Russia goods. However, Taiwan has continued to import Russian fossil fuels. The activists appealed to the Taiwan government to stop buying coal and other fossil fuels from Russia in order to curb Russian aggression. When we look at this over time, um, there is no decreasing trend yet in um, uh, imports uh, to Taiwan. Russia is Taiwan's third largest supplier of coal. However, it provides only about 10% of total imports. It's not like how in other countries, Russia provides more than half of total imports. So in fact, our government should be able to take action against Russian coal. It should be able to reduce Russian imports or end them altogether and to make up the shortfall with another source. On Thursday, a Taiwanese environmentalist group spoke out in solidarity with Ukraine and peace, urging an end to Russian shipments. But for Taiwan's government officials, cutting shipments without affecting the economy could prove to be a major test. Taiwan stocks took a beating on Thursday after the Dow dropped by more than 1,000 points. The Taiex sank 404 points at its lowest point, before electronic stocks led to a minor rally. The index ended the day down 1.7% at 16,020 points. The market will continue to test lows in the second quarter. We haven't seen this situation much in the past. Taiwan stocks are more than 70% integrated with the U.S. market. So what we're seeing is that whenever there's a major fluctuation on Wall Street, the Taiex reacts accordingly. 
so the second quarter will be a painful time as the market heads lower. I think it will be a real torment for investors. To ensure the stability of Taiwan's market, the National Financial Stabilization Fund will pay close attention to the market impact of political and economic trends in Taiwan and abroad. If intervention is necessary, we will not rule out convening a provisional committee following the relevant regulations to discuss countermeasures for stabilizing the stock market. Looking back at the year so far, the TIEX hit its highest points in January, when it touched 18,526 points. Since then, it's lost nearly 3,000 points amid factors like the Russia-Ukraine war, interest rate hikes, inflation and the pandemic. The TIEX has dropped 16% from its recent highs and is hovering close to bear market territory. Now let's head to the mountains to meet a new citizen of Taiwan with a very unique story. Professor Rick D. Busser first came to Taiwan 22 years ago for a linguistics conference. After falling in love with the country, he became a specialist in the language of Bunong people. Now he works at the Graduate Institute of Linguistics at National Zhengzhou University, where he's an expert in Taiwan's indigenous languages. Last year, he finally received official Taiwanese citizenship. Rick Dibasa from Belgium speaks Bunon pretty well, better than some members of the tribe. The NCCU professor listens carefully as an elder from the tribe shares a story. He's lived over a decade in Taiwan and is comfortable in Mandarin and Bunun, having dedicated himself to immersive field research of the Bunun language. The first time I came to Taiwan was about 22 years ago for a conference. Then I made a trip around the island and I thought it was quite fun. So when I went back to Belgium, I was thinking if I learned a new language, why not make it Chinese? So Dibasa returned to Taiwan to study Mandarin. He made lots of friends from the Bunun tribe. He told him that hardly any Taiwanese scholars were researching indigenous languages. That was when his love affair with indigenous culture and Austronesian languages began, as well as a more personal love affair. My wife is from the Bunong people, so I think that's the most special memory. Actually, I had been secretly hoping for a long time that I would meet someone who understood our language. I was quite touched when I saw how hard he was working to learn it. The couple fell in love at first sight and Dibasa decided to stay in Taiwan. He tagged along with tribe members, climbing mountains and swimming in Taiwan Sea, learning about the Bunon people's way of life. After a year of romance, the couple were married and decided to stay in Taiwan. Now Dibasa has even received Taiwanese citizenship. When you've lived here 15 years, Taiwan becomes your home. The government usually gives you a permanent resident certificate, but you're still not really Taiwanese. You don't really belong to the land. He applied for citizenship last year and he got the certificate at the end of December. I was so surprised and delighted when he told me about this gift. Dibasa is just one of many immigrants who come to Taiwan and make life here richer for everyone. But for indigenous peoples, it's especially touching to see a new Taiwanese take so wholeheartedly to one of the oldest cultures of the island. Traditional Hakka cuisine is taking center stage at this year's Fugang Railway Air Art Festival. The Taoyuan extravaganza is graced by top chef Jerry Chu.
He's remaking classic Hakka fare with the sous vide slow cooking method, making it lighter and healthier for all the family. The festival will open in June and it's perfect for foodies looking for a fresh take on Taiwan's old school recipes. Vegetables are chopped thinly and coated in dough before being deep fried to become delicious golden snacks. The chef uses local grass jelly to marinate this premium matsusaka pork. It's then cooked slowly sous vide until the pork is totally saturated with flavor. This combination of Eastern and Western styles and ingredients results in one very fashionable bento box. We spent more than two months teaching local moms how to make lunch boxes. It's a very sophisticated thing. We use grass jelly for the grass jelly pork. We want the design of this bento box to help Taiwanese people to eat more healthily. The 2022 Fugang Railway Art Festival kicks off in Taoyuan this June. Top chef Jerry Chiu, more frequently engaged for state banquets, has been drafted in by Taoyuan Cultural Affairs Department just for the festival. He's supplied with the best local ingredients such as rice pickled veggies, grass jelly and pork by Yangmei Farmers Association. Their goal is to help spread great cooking techniques and invent delicious new lunchbox recipes with a Hakka twist. It's healthy and it's not as heavy on the salt as your average traditional Hakka fare. We're going for this healthy sous vide technique as an improvement in our cooking methods. We're making delicious bento boxes with local ingredients to share with anyone who comes here wherever they're from. The Railway Art Festival kicks off with food because the railway lunchbox is such a classic image from the railways of yesteryear. With the innovations of this chef, Fugang's local culture is infused with fresh ideas and the scent of something new.